I remember being so excited. And my daughter said it perfectly. She said, it's so amazing. It's like another piece of grandpa is in the world. Like he's not gone. Welcome to episode two of Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson. NPE originally stood for non-paternal event, and then it morphed into not parent expected. The results of a non-paternal event is someone like me. In my case, I found out my dad wasn't my dad through a home DNA test. We call ourselves NPEs, which I think most of us hate. If you tell someone from the outside, (laughs) which is how I view people now that haven't experienced this, if you tell them, Yeah, I'm an MPE. Like, no one knows what the heck you're talking about. Today's episode is going to be about finding out that I was an MPE. But I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to let my four new half-sisters tell you about the experience through their eyes. And what it was like growing up for them. So, Kim, tell me what we're doing right now. We are driving to Tucson, Arizona to meet our sisters at a timeshare so we can go see the town we grew up in on Sunday. I wanted to give Don a little insight into our life, where we were with our dad um, when he wasn't around, so he can kind of just picture some little pieces to just get some little, uh, little pieces of background of his dad that he never got to meet. So it was Kim's idea to take this road trip. She wanted to take me to Wilcox, Arizona, to see the house they grew up in. It's the house she remembers as home. It's a place where she was happy before her childhood fell apart when her parents divorced. So she invited me on this journey, and much to our amazement, the other three sisters wanted to join us. So what street are we on now? We are, I don't know what street this is, honestly. I don't know. Graham Road, isn't it? Yeah. But what does it mean to you guys? So this is where, around the corner from where we lived, and this is where we played. We just went up and down the street. We would run up and down. Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Barefoot and filthy. I learned a lot about my new sisters on this trip. There was plenty of talk. We played games every night. And there was always lots of laughter. Modeling, is that new? Is that like modeling on Zoom? Uh, your website? Oh my gosh. But it wasn't all laughter. Some of them were reluctant to come, second-guessed themselves. See, I'd been warned by all four husbands since the day I met them, warned of what can happen when all four sisters get together. This is Rochelle, the oldest. Uh, I was a little hesitant to come because the four of us get together. We're very strong personality, and sometimes we can butt heads. But it was more important that you saw the whole picture of my dad and us than for me to be uncomfortable, I guess. I I wanted you to get, since my dad's passed, our dad's passed, I want to give you every bit of information that we could possibly provide you.
So today, instead of me telling you my life story, I'm going to let Tammy, my youngest new sister, tell us how she grew up. I'm Tammy, and I am the fourth child of five. Oh my gosh. I am the fifth child. Do I count you? (laughs) (laughs) I am the... uh, I was born in 1972, and my oldest sister was born in 1967, and she is, I don't know, five years older than me, I guess. So she's the first, Rochelle, and then it becomes Stephanie, like a year and a half or whatever later, and then Kim, and then I was born 15 months after Kim. My four new half-sisters are full sisters with each other. Their parents had four girls in five years, so they grew up like a litter. Wilcox is a small town in southeastern Arizona. It's kind of farmy. Lots of cows, that kind of thing. So their dad, our dad, always wanted a boy. So the word is, Tammy would have never been born if my dad had known about me. When my mom found out she was pregnant with me, the story is that she came driving up that road in that pasture behind the house that we went to, the pasture in Wilcox. And my uncle Dwayne was out there and they were working on the water, I don't know, irrigation. And my mom shows up, hauling ass down the road, and she gets out crying and she said, Bobby, I'm pregnant. I'm getting an abortion. Our dad said, you're not getting an abortion. What if it's a boy? And so when I was born, I came out and they said, oh, Eva, you and your girls So my dad was disappointed. He had a vasectomy after me. I don't know when, but he had a vasectomy after me. Otherwise, we probably would have had a lot more Dons running around. So it's interesting, when we were at the house yesterday, or whatever day it was, I don't even know anymore, we, um, I, I remember so clearly that when my dad left, like I did not really care that he left my mom, which is obviously, I mean, I was like, whatever. Now we don't know. I think I always say seven, but about seven years old. And um, I just remember wanting my dad so badly because I was his little shadow. And I remember bawling my eyes out, looking out the window. My mom was, you know, saying, he's a son of a bitch. He's just a son of a bitch. And I was like, no, he's not a son of a bitch. I want my dad and I want to be with my dad. And I was going like, my daddy. I think my mom was like, Bobby, you need to take Tammy because she's, you know, so upset. So I went to go stay the night with him in this apartment where he was staying, which was horrible. It was green on the outside is all I remember. And I remember eating cereal with him in those white corn bowls. And um, I just remember saying, this is great. It's just going to be me and you, Dad, right? I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to be with my dad the whole time. And I don't know, I don't really even care if I'm, if I'm with my mom or my sisters anymore because I was so obsessed with them. And um, so, anyway, that was kind of like a foreshadowing of the rest of my life. But, you know, as an adult, it, it looks a little bit more dysfunctional <laughs> if you're following your father around. So the reason our dad divorced their mother is he was having an affair with a woman named Jackie who had lots of money. They wound up moving in together on Jackie's ranch. You know, her house literally, one of the rooms in the house was literally designed and it was a replication. It was a complete replica of a bar 
at some airport in Dallas or something. It was like a literally it was a bar with a pool table and, you know, the Rat Pack type low seating and huge ashtrays that were crystal ashtrays or ashtrays everywhere and those fancy lighters because, of course, everybody smoked. My dad smoked Winston's. So our dad and Jackie drank a lot and they had money. But meanwhile, their mom had to sell the house they grew up in and use the proceeds to live someplace cheaper. Um, bought a double-wide trailer, and it was kind of a joke. She's like, okay, we can get this single-wide trailer and have steak and egg, steak every day, or we can get this beautiful double-wide trailer and eat beans and rice. And, of course, all of us were like, beans and rice. It was literally that way. We got this double-wide trailer on a, you know, that rented a space in Thatcher, Arizona, and we had no furniture, <laughs> not any, like nothing. Like there was a mattress on one of the floors. I think it was two or three bedroom. And I remember the carpet completely, you know, that old brown marbled looking carpet with texture. And I think a television on the floor. And my mom got a job at, oh my gosh, I wish I could remember the name of the place. It was like a Denny's, but it wasn't Denny's. But she was a waitress. Not too long after that. Their mom met a man named Nick, who all the kids despised. He supposedly had a job in Bakersfield, California, so their mom moved to Bakersfield. I hated him. It was horrible. I used to write my dad letters. Like, back in the day, I remember I would write him handwritten letters about how horrible he was. And I was like, Dad, he smokes marijuana. Eventually, after quite a few letters, her parents acquiesced and allowed Tammy to move back to Wilcox. So for the most part, after the divorce, Tammy and Stephanie, number two and number four, lived with our dad. And Rochelle and Kimberly, number one and number three, lived with their mom. Not always. Sometimes there were months here and there. Sometimes, you know, they visit for the summer. But for the most part, that's how it went. So I moved in with my dad and I went to, I started school in Wilcox again. And that's when we were living in the house on Wells Drive. And he was still a police officer. He owned the Silver Bullet. I was really happy. Me and Stephanie lived there. and We had, um, it was nice, actually. Um, Dad was happy. Jackie was still good. They were drinking, but they weren't like, I don't remember it being so horrible. So they were living in Wilcox. Our dad was a cop and he and Jackie owned a bar. But then Jackie's father died, and her parents owned a ranch in Silver City, New Mexico. So he quit his job of being a cop. They sold the bar, and they moved to Silver City to become ranchers. And so my dad came over to take over, and Jackie knew a little bit about ranching because she grew up on that, that was a Turner Ranch in Silver City. And me and Stephanie started working with my dad, and so we would get up every morning And we would do the chores and feed the horses. We had 15 horses at the time. And I think at the time we had, there was like 400 head of cattle on a 24-section ranch. So it's pretty big. And it's a lot for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. So he got really into it. He had all the pastures. I don't remember how many pastures we had. I think we had 12. And he kept, was very meticulous records. And he rotated the pastures. So Stephanie and I, we would get up in the summertime and... um, ride to Brand 
for branding and castrating and inoculations and all that. So we would ride all of the pastures, you know, four o'clock in the morning. We would get up, got to get up with them babies or with their mamas. And we would go out and we would ride and we would gather the cattle and bring them in. And either that day, depending on where we were, or the next day we would just, we would, you know, castrate all the bulls. We would give them all of their shots and dehorn them. They were Herefords mostly. And then at some point we got Brangus that uh, bring us bulls. And anyway, it was a hard, it was a lot of work. And um, he was really hard on us. It was very strict and yelled at us a lot. We learned by um, getting yelled at. Not a lot of instruction. <laughs> so, but we were great. And I thought actually, I, um, I didn't even think even Stephanie will say that she liked that. That was a good time. A lot of work and but, you know, we were spent the whole day with our dad, so it was wonderful. I remember when I was, I was on the outside, and I had to do the shots and paint. And because we painted this stuff, I don't even know what it is, this black stuff on the scrotum after we castrated the bull. I would paint. My dad would castrate them. I would take the scrotum and put them in a pile so we could paint, you know, count the bulls versus the or heifers, females versus male. And then my dad would castrate them. Also, I would collect the testicles because my uncle loved them. It was kind of gross. Um, and Stephanie would be behind the calves and be pushing them through the chute. Stephanie would push these cows through the chute. We'd have shit all of our legs. And I was on the other side, and she got kicked many times. And one time she got kicked so hard in the shin and... I think she started crying, which was unusual because she's super tough. And my dad was like, you want me to cut his balls off for you, Stephanie? You want me to do that for you? So she, he castrated this bull. And then he took the the testicles and waved them in front of the bull's face and said, don't you, t- don't you kick my daughter again? And so Stephanie, of course, was laughing through tears. So, so she... I don't think she hated him as much as she says. Those were those were good times, and my dad couldn't drink a lot. I mean, we worked a lot. We worked all the time. I think I was I was in junior high, and then my mom started calling me and said that Nick had left. She said, "You know, you just you just want the money." See, Nick's gone now, and you can come back now. And I was like, Mom, I'm doing great here. Like, I, I have friends, and I, I'm in school, and I'm doing getting straight A's, and I was, you know, doing well in school. And I I had just built this nice little life, and I was really happy with my dad. Was Everything was nice. But I felt guilty, and I felt like I needed to keep my word. So I moved back to live with my mom in Bakersfield, and we lived in this shitty like low-income housing area. We went to this, and my mom was alone with her son that she had had with Nick. Well, not alone. That's not true. He's, she was with Kim was there. So my sister that's just 15 months older than me, she was there and working and, and taking care of Nicholas a lot. My mom was working, going to school. She was going to Cal State Bakersfield, trying to get her teaching degree. 
I just hated being there. I hated being there a lot. We didn't really always have food in the house. Mom would bring home food from a hotels where she worked, like leftover foods from a banquet or from a buffet place that she worked at. And I stopped doing well in school. I started ditching school all the time. I was never, I I don't know, I, my first period, which was like the first class of the day, I think I went like one day out of four. And then I'd be like, Mom, I need you to approve my my absence because I'm going to, they're going to fail me or something because of absences. And so she would every time. And I was like, what the heck? I realized that I could not stay there. I thought, if I stay here, I'm going to go nowhere. I'm going to do nothing. I need I need structure. I mean, I just went from like, you know, every day getting up at 5 o'clock and feeding the horses. And we had a little garden. And we had to like, you know, tend to the garden. And we got home. And we would have to check the cows. And we would have to, you know, it was just like structure and you know, boundaries that children, you know, pretend that they don't like but absolutely need and love. And I had zero with my mom. Anyway, um, so I was like, I can't do this. So I want I called my dad and I'm like, I want dad, I want to come back. What what are you trying to do, Tammy? You we're not gonna go back and forth and you can't do this back and forth stuff and blah blah blah. And I I didn't know, definitely didn't know at the time how to articulate what was going on with me. I just kind of basically it was my fault that I made a bad decision. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I made a bad decision when I was, you know, 13 years old. I went back to Silver City and I was, it was so much better. But then my dad's drinking got really, really bad because he stopped ranching. I think that that was probably really it because the ranching wasn't really, you know, it was really a lot of work and not a ton of money at the time. It was just, I don't know what was going on with the market. The, beef market or something and and so what they did my dad decided to or they decided to start leasing out some of the land to other ranchers and we didn't really have my dad kind of stopped ranching so he wasn't working as much he would come home and drink and he would just get super drunk and my at this time Stephanie and I were really pretty in much into church. We went to the Methodist church and we were into church all the time. We went like like three or four days a week. And my dad was a total alcoholic and he never went to church. And I remember taking it upon myself and realizing that I needed to get baptized because I hadn't been baptized. So I asked the minister if he would baptize me and which was it's so weird to have that you know, on my own, I was like, I felt like I needed it. And so my dad, I told him, I thought I didn't really want to tell him. I was kind of like, ugh, I don't even want to, I, he wasn't really, he didn't know anything about my life. And so I said to him and Jackie, hey, um, I'm getting baptized this Sunday if you want to go. I was kind of hoping they wouldn't go. And so Stephanie and I got up and went to church. And they did it during the service. And my dad showed up. And he just looked horrible. He was, like, so incredibly hungover looking. And super 
horrible bloodshot eyes and and he'd never been to church before and he came him and Jackie had to stand behind me and put their hands on my shoulder and I was like super embarrassed and it was a horrible experience so anyway he just got he just kept getting worse and there was a lot of fighting at home Stephanie left high school in 1987, she graduated. Yes, she graduated in 87, and my stepbrother died of cancer. Like, literally, like, just before she graduated, and it was horrible. And after Buddy's death, the alcohol got really bad, and Jackie became, like, super intense in the um, pill-taking. She took so many pills, And my dad was just like, you know, super anti-drugs. Somehow alcohol is totally fine. But, um, you know, all the prescription pills she was taking was just too much. So there was a lot of fighting. And Stephanie used to be my support system. And so after Stephanie left, I stopped going to church. And I started being bad. And I started taking drugs. And my dad started getting further and further away. And he would just call me a piece of shit and a liar and just be super mean he would get drunk and would just be super verbally abusive and meanwhile getting like you know fights sometimes physical fights with Jackie every night every night it was just like absolutely pass out so I was alone for the last three years of high school and um it was a lot it was devastating um and well actually at one point I ran away and I came back my high school was, I got busted by the drug dogs and in my calculus in my in my advanced calculus class and by the way I had also you know great grades after high school even though she had a scholarship at a local college Tammy left Las Cruces for Phoenix Arizona mostly to get away from the drinking at home she wound up getting married and then had a baby 3 years later but then they got a divorce she went back to school as a single mother at ASU in Tempe Arizona meanwhile Our dad and Jackie made a lot of money subdividing parts of the ranch, and they moved to San Carlos, Mexico, about seven hours south of Tucson. It's an expat community right on the Sea of Cortez, populated mostly by U.S. and Canadian retirees. So anyway, we um, we kind of like I kind of rekindled my you know closeness with my dad, and and I would go visit him in Mexico constantly. I would go down almost every single weekend from. Tempe to Mexico and go fishing with my dad. I mean, I'm talking, I mean, that was like a seven or eight hour drive and the road was not that great. And I was, you know, 20, so I was 25 and I was driving down with Morgan every weekend. I would leave work or leave school, whatever it was. And I would drive down and spend the weekend. Sometimes I would drive down and he'd say, I'm going to have the boat ready. I would literally drive directly to the docks and get on the boat and we go fishing. We fished all the time. And um, we fished in fishing tournaments. Um, lots of, I got lots of um, trophies and and he was did really well. He had a boat called Andalay and I just loved it. I couldn't get there. I just wanted to be there all the time. But it was funny. I knew that I had to be, you know, exceptional. So, I mean, I worked, as soon as I got on the boat, I'm like, whatever I got to do and you know, I got to be good at fishing. And, you know, I always had to be funny. He would take me out with his friends. 
and we would make jokes and drinking and there was a lot of drinking there also my dad got doubled down on the drinking because he was retired essentially and he was very young i think he retired basically at 50 which was the kiss of death but i came down all the time i wanted to be with him all the time so i got a job working at boeing which my dad was super proud of he was like so proud that i was working at boeing i was working in the um support as a business analyst for the um, defense side of Boeing. So we made, they made helicopters, patchy helicopters. My dad was so proud of me. He couldn't talk about it enough. He came up. I took him to happy hour with, with the other, the test pilots, which my dad thought was amazing. So it was, you know, he was like my buddy. Or I was like his buddy, I guess I should say. And we spent a lot of time together. I mean, still when he would get drunk, he would be, say some nuts you know, not nice things. But I didn't care. I was super obsessed with my dad. And anyway, so I, I just did whatever I could to be with my dad all the time. And he would visit me. When he got email, he started sending me all of his stupid jokes and and I would hang out with him as much as I could in, in San Carlos. My dad was doing really well. He had opened, he had started a Remax, a uh, real estate company in San Carlos, Mexico. And because the real estate market was going crazy, this was about 2003. So he was talking, I mean, we talked all the time. He had a charter fishing business. He had three boats and the real estate company. And he said, I was living in, so I was in St. Louis. And he said, I, he said I'd like you to come down here. You can come down here and we're going to do this. And we're, you, you can work at the real estate company. You can take over the business. When we're done, we, they own 50% of it. I said, well, one day I had like a nervous breakdown at in at work and in Boeing. I was already losing my hair. I had alopecia. I was working like 60, 70 hours a week and, and it didn't look good on me. I turned into a total bitch at work and I was not a nice person. So I said, okay, fine. I quit. I called my dad. I said, dad, I'm done. I'm coming down. And he says, don't say it if you don't mean it. And I said, I mean it. I'm coming. I said, but I need to have I need to have a certain amount of money that I can get, be guaranteed because I have to, you know, I have a car payment and I have some bills I got to pay. So my dad said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tammy put in her two-week notice. But then to get her to stay, Boeing offered her a chance of a lifetime. They were going to move her to London, England. She really wanted to take it. So she called her dad and Jackie to tell him. I said, you know what? Um, I can't go because they're offering me this job, and I think this is exactly what I've been looking for. And Jackie said, you you don't stand by your word, and you told me, and you prom- I've been holding this position for you. And, and she just, like, kind of, you know, made me feel guilty. And I was like, okay, well, all right. So I, I quit, put in my two weeks' notice. So Tammy moved to San Carlos in Mexico, a place she always loved. We, uh... Morgan and I got there, and immediately everything changed. I was on my own completely. I wasn't vacationing anymore, so my I wasn't going to their house, and I was I immediately started doing the the business side of the charter business, and I immediately started working on all of that. and And I was Jackie had gave me like two checks, or two, like you know payments, and I said, and on the payment it said loan on the check. Jackie had this saying that practice on your family, the, then the strangers don't have a chance. 
So it was like her thing. Like she just literally loved to screw over anybody. And it was all about Jackie all the time. And and like Stephanie reminded me, and it was true. My dad said one time, he's like, I, I have to drink because I can't be around her if I'm not drunk, which is, of course, a complete justification and a cop out. But she was definitely horrible. Jackie started telling me that the money that she was paying me was a loan. And I was like, what? How do you, how is this a loan? I, you, we made this agreement. She's like, I can't pay you. And I said, well, what are you, what am I doing with the charter fishing business? Well, I don't understand. That's just volunteer work. And she said, yes. And I was like, what the heck? And it was just so weird. And I had to be a real estate agent. So I started selling real estate and I was doing okay. But still, that's like a business, that's a job that you don't just walk into and get paid the next day. So I had no money. And I had like car loan payment and all these things. And I just was like, Dad, what the heck? So I asked Tammy, why didn't you just leave? I didn't want to. I wanted to be there as a truth. And so I said, Dad, what the heck? You you told me that this was going to, you know, you were going to, I was going to get paid. And, and there was a huge fight between Jackie and my dad. And I came back and my dad said, thanks a lot, Tammy. We almost got a divorce over you. I was like, what the fuck? How do you, do, what the, how does this happen? In the same time, my dad and Jackie decided they don't want to work anymore. They don't want to be in the real estate uh, company. And I said, okay, so I'm going to take over 50% of this business with this other partner. But then the other partner was like, I don't want her to be my partner. So I'm going to buy you out. And I was like, okay. So like literally every single pretext for me coming to Mexico. My dad stopped doing charter fishing business, stopped doing real estate, and I'm like there. I didn't like my daughter to be around him at night. She wouldn't stay with him. I was a single mom there in Mexico. I didn't have anybody, so she was with me all the time because I didn't want, I did not want her to have to be around him at night when he was drunk because he was just super bad. Um, So we have this estranged relationship um, again, I still fished with him, but I didn't really spend a lot of time with him at their house. And Jackie died one day, just randomly. And it's weird because we had just had a major fallout because my dad had thrown me up against the wall in his kitchen and held me by my throat in front of my daughter. It was horrible. And literally like a month later, I think, Jackie had a massive heart attack and died. Missing Pieces will be right back after a break. Follow me on Instagram at npe underscore life underscore podcast. And you can get in touch with me there. After Jackie died, our dad started drinking more than ever. But he already had cirrhosis of the liver and had been told many times he needed to stop drinking. So within six months of Jackie dying, he was told he had less than a year to live himself. Tammy spent as much time as she could with him, and he died in 2010 with all of his kids at his bedside. Well, not all of his kids. That was long before I ever knew about him. See, in the summer of 2021, I was helping my older sister Tammy. So, (laughs) in perfect MP irony, 
I've wound up with two sisters named Tammy. <laughs> but I was helping the one I grew up with find her bio dad. She had learned that my mom was pregnant with her when our parents met. So she gave me her 23andMe sign-in, but then I decided the easier way was that I would do my own 23andMe test so we would have something to compare her results to. So on September 19th, it was a Sunday, I got an email from 23andMe saying the results were in. When I looked at my DNA relatives, to my complete surprise, I had two half-sisters that I'd never heard of. And at that time, I'd never heard the acronym MPE and had no idea what to do. So (laughs) I did what I usually do in that situation. I barreled straight ahead as fast as I could. (laughs) And I sent them a message on 23andMe. It didn't even make sense. It wasn't even a complete thought, I don't think. It was something like, I just found out my dad isn't my dad. Blah, 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 blah. Never said I was their half-brother or (laughs) that I might be related to them. It was just, I don't know, I was assuming they were looking at exactly what I was looking at. I don't know. This is Rochelle, the oldest. I was riding back from someplace, and I was looking on my phone for messages, and I get a message from 23andMe that says something to the effect of, I never knew my father wasn't my father And let me guess, your dad was stationed or was in the Air Force and stationed in Arkansas. And I wasn't quite sure. I didn't quite understand. Um, But when I went on to 23andMe and it showed I had a half-brother, I kind of put the pieces together. And we ended up, oh gosh, I don't know if he called me or I called him. But anyways, we talked. We talked for a long time. Um, And it was... uh, um, it, it, kind of surreal. This is Stephanie, the second oldest. The day we found out about Don, Rochelle, was it Rochelle called me? Because you talked to Rochelle first. And Rochelle called and said, we have a brother. I was like, what? And I logged on to 23andMe and saw the message. And then I called. And so I talked to you on the phone for a good hour. You were probably in shock because you called the first day you found out, right? You had just found out and then you called us. We knew our father was not, um, <laughs> what you want to call him, a player, or uh, he got around even before he met my mom, and they got divorced because he was having an affair, or multiple affairs, we don't know. And then, so I sort of thought that we might have a sibling out there, and I know my other sisters, a couple of them thought the same thing. So I was not really that shocked to find out I had a half-brother. What was actually interesting to me was that you were conceived before my parents had met. I thought if we had a sibling, it would be result from one of my dad's affairs, and it would be in between one of us. So I, 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 you know, in my perspective, I guess, you know, part of me was sort of waiting to hear from someone. Then you showed up. Here you are. You know... My dad was a player from day one. I mean, he flirted with everybody. And in fact, the reason why my parents divorced was because he cheated on my mom. So I think of the four sisters, three of us were were not, we weren't shocked, I think, because I think we expected, in fact, we expected there to be more than one. And this is Kim in the car on our road trip. I got a call from Rochelle 
that said, actually, let me back up. She sent a message because us four girls had a, a Facebook messenger group. And she sent a message in there saying that somebody contacted her on 23andMe. And then she called and left a message saying that we had a half-brother. So my first reaction was kind of like, what? I just, I was not expecting anything like that. Or it just came out of the blue. It was really a surprise to me. So I feel like when we first, all of us, you know, started talking, communicating... I feel like you were the most hesitant and I didn't know if it was because you live, we live within an hour and a half of each other and you knew we were going to meet eventually, or if you were hesitant for some other reason. Um, no, it wasn't. I tended like take things a little slow and I felt like it was uh, very overwhelming for my sisters to be like, just all of a sudden, hey, welcome to the family when we didn't even know you. And it made me, I just wanted to sit back and watch for a little bit. And um, I felt like you had just had your world turned upside down and you were just being bombarded. And I thought that could be very overwhelming. And so I didn't want to add to that. The day we met for lunch with, it was you, my wife and your husband, we met, you know, had lunch and I feel like, okay, I'm just going to tell you from my perspective, what I perceived that happened that day is that we were both very nervous. And when we sat down, we had never met. And, but I feel like at some point in the lunch, it clicked for me that like in this strange, stupid way that I can't explain that you were my sister like that we were family or familiar, I think is probably a better word. Like, did you feel that? So I was worried about when we met that you were going to be so extra <laughs> a little bit. Like when in the group chat, I was like, wow, he's just putting stuff out there. Like, like you were, you were extra. I felt like. I know you're a school teacher and you're around high school students and you know that lingo, but can you explain what extra met means? Yeah. <laughs> well, you were putting things in there in the chat when we first were going like on Messenger about, does he drink coffee in the morning? Do you like coffee in the morning? Because I do this. It was little things that seemed very insignificant that would be part of the family that you were saying, oh my gosh, that's me too. And so, I, I mean, now looking back, it probably could have been a joke, but I was like, what? <laughs> It doesn't really matter if he drank coffee in the morning. Like, you be you. That's kind of where I was like, you don't need to be a part of it just because you didn't drink coffee in the morning or you did. So that's what I was kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it's funny that you say that because I hear other MPEs in podcasts or in like, he breathes oxygen? I breathe oxygen. <laughs> But I felt it was a click. I definitely felt that because it was such an ease of conversation. But when we left there, we truly felt like, no, this is somebody that's a member of our family. I definitely think there was something there that was uh, made it click and it made it like, this is, this is right.
I didn't realize there would be kind of almost an emotional, gosh, what is the word I want to use for this? There is emotion spent because after we got to know him and stuff, I got another message from 23andMe. I have a new relative. When I saw that, I thought, oh, my goodness, I hope it's not another half-sibling because um, that would be another emotional investment. You know, it was exciting and neat and curious and um, all of that stuff. But the thought that there was another one out there uh, sounded exhausting. Oh, my dad always wanted a son. With my mom, he had four girls, and each one he hoped was a boy. I think he would have been thrilled, silly. He would have been so excited to find out he had a son. Like, oh, wow, there's this guy out there who's my dad's son that he always wanted a son, and he had one, and he never got to meet him, which is... um, a little sad. Sort of chokes me up a little, like, especially if you knew how bad my dad wanted a son. I think you fit in with this family probably more than most of our family, if that makes sense. Immediately, you felt, we felt comfortable with you. We're thankful that you're a part of this family, also because I think you're more of a calming influence. You're, you, you're a peacemaker, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, which probably is needed. Definitely fit in well with this family. It was almost like we had a missing piece and we didn't realize it. And you kind of filled that missing piece. Oh, you know what? I used to think my childhood was pretty bad. Then we heard about yours. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, because when we, I remember when we first talked, I was like, maybe you didn't end up so bad not knowing us because my dad was an alcoholic. He ended up dying from liver cancer. And I used to get in huge fights with my dad because I'm very confrontational and I would say, stop drinking. And he um, hit me, you know, before he used to say pretty mean things. Growing up with the alcoholic, I had a lot of bad memories. I associate those with my dad. But then when we found out about you, actually telling you stories has, it's going to choke me up a little, telling you stories made me think of good memories that I didn't realize we had. That's sort of a gift. And, um, but I think we had, I mean, actually going through and talking about our grandmother and even seeing our uncle today, like we... We all live pretty well now. I mean, all of us are comfortable financially in our lives, comfortable in our relationships. Um, None of us are alcoholics. All of us have good relationships with our kids. Our kids are all really good, good people, good kids and good adults, good human beings. And I think that the one last missing piece was like feeling good about our dad. And um, so I think that that's a huge gift to us. So thank you. And now back to Tammy. In 2010, my dad died, cirrhosis of the liver, from drinking himself to death. 
And it was devastating for me. Not really the day, because I was happy he was out of misery, but I was completely wrecked. But I had this realization that I was free. Weirdly, the day that he died was the first day that I started trying to be happy. That I really thought, I want to take care of myself and I want to be happy. And it was liberating. And I went on a long trip with my daughter. And from that point on, I decided that I was going to be happy. Really, I lost a ton of weight and my life totally changed for the better. I started making more money and I fell in love. And and my life was really going in a pretty amazing direction. And I quoted many, many times to many people that the day that my parents died, my dad and my stepmom, or those days, were the best days ever. It released all of my, the weight off of my shoulders. So I don't know, I kind of feel guilty about that, but not exactly, but it was true. And then in um, September, um, September 19th of 2021, my sisters and I, well, actually, my sisters received a notice on 23andMe that said, I found out today that my father was not my father. And we were so excited. I remember being so excited. And my daughter said it perfectly. She said, it's so amazing. It's like another piece of grandpa is in the world. Like he's not gone. Which is funny because I was so happy that he was gone. I was so happy that he was not here. But then all of a sudden, I I missed him so much. And it was the craziest thing. I texted him immediately, and I just was like, I need to know more. I need to know everything about you. Thank God he's not horrible. <laughs> if he would have been horrible, it would have ruined everything. Um, but he wasn't. He wasn't horrible at all. He was exactly what I wanted. And so I started writing him letters. I was traveling and I just was obsessed with it. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was crying. I was thinking about my father. I was thinking about how much I missed him and and how much I wanted to tell him how great he was and how much and the reasons why I had followed him all over since I was four. And uh, so I wrote him a letter that said in a, in my own journal, and I said, I hope. I hope you want to be my brother as much as I want to be your sister. And I felt so vulnerable, and I don't know what courage I must have found to... I sent it to him, and I was so scared that he would think I was a nut. I mean, he probably still does, (laughs) but he didn't. He was amazing, and and since then, my life has been so much better. I think of my 
father differently. He's opened me up to so many other wonderful things in my life. And truly, he's, when I thought my life was already pretty great, and I'd already worked through all of the problems and issues and difficulties I had from being a girl with daddy issues, I realized that I wasn't over it all and that I really needed to work, work through them. And I'm just, uh, I'm forever thankful. It's totally changed my life. I don't know. That's it. <laughs> That's all I got to say. So I tried to find a couple more people to say amazing things about me, but I ran out of money. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I hit the jackpot with these four sisters. And you're absolutely right. But the thing that rips my heart wide open is that I feel like they think the same thing about me. And I cannot even put into words how great of a feeling that is. My hope in telling the story, our story, is that some family member who gets contacted by an MPE will have heard this episode. And though they might be reluctant, my hope is that because of this episode, they will leave that door open for a possible relationship with the NPE. Or better yet, invite them in. They just might be the thing you didn't know you were looking for. We'll dive more into my personal story on another episode. Thanks for tuning in today to Missing Pieces, NPE Life. If you like this podcast, please rate it, subscribe to it, all that shizzle. And if you could leave us a review, that would be really, really wonderful. I want to thank each of the Blur Girls for sharing their stories with me and taking me on a road trip of a lifetime. Missing Pieces is written, edited, and produced by yours truly, Don Anderson. All the music in today's episode was provided by the library of Billy Sullivan. If you need custom music composed or if you want to check out his existing library, he can be found at www.billysullivanscore.com. That's Billy Sullivan, S-C-O-R-E.com. I'd like to thank my wife, Lisa, among other things, for helping me rename this podcast. Missing Pieces is perfect. And thank you for being my go-to person with questions when it's time to edit. Thanks. <laughs>